0: today's reading we have two readings today the first reading is taken from john chapters 14 1 to 24 and you'll find that on page 1081 in the bibles in front of you second reading is matthew 28 verses 16 to 20 and that's on page 1000 Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how will we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And I will do whatever you do, you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you be with with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it, it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, and he lives with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Next reading is Matthew 28 on page 1000. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age.
1: Well, let me say it's been a great three weeks uh, having John Dixon here, but it's great to be back preaching. And that was an interesting Bible reading. The Father's in me, I'm in him, I'm in you. What's going on? Well we are starting a new series, it's called The Believer's Guide to God. John took us through The the Skeptic's Guide to God and we looked at the whole person of God, Creator, we then looked at the Son, Jesus, we looked at the Holy Spirit last week and I'm going to try and put them all together and look at what's called the Trinity. Uh, And let me say it's a topic that has created much controversy, discussion, Uh, I'm going to pray, so let's Think about this as we, uh, let's come to God as we come to think about this topic. Father, we do thank you that you are Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. And we pray, living Word of God, in the power of the Spirit, that you would speak to us this day so that we might know you, our Heavenly Father. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, to assist me in my preparation, I read a number of articles, um, some of them online. And I love how this one started, and I googled the Trinity for dummies. Just thought I'd try and make it simple, uh, because we are dealing with a complex topic. And this is what one article opened with. This is a perilous matter. Since through the centuries, people have actually lost careers, property, even their lives, because of perceived heresy about the notoriously abstract and esoteric idea of the Trinity. In other words, good luck as you speak on it today. I did find this meme uh, which I found quite entertaining uh, as we think about the Trinity, how not to commit heresy preaching on the Trinity, say nothing and show pictures of kittens instead. <laughs> so I don't know if you'd like to have fluffy kiss, uh, kittens being put up on the screen today, uh, I'm going to try something more adventurous and actually talk about the Trinity and hopefully not commit heresy. Now, when you see these kind of comments, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is an impossible topic to kind of deal with, the Trinity, um, let alone talk about it. And there's no doubt there's a complexity that we're going to enter into as we think about the God who's revealed himself as three in one, another way of expressing the Trinity. And my thoughts, I might be a bit delusional, but personally, I've been very excited about delivering to you today... um, This is a wonderful topic to think about even though we might not understand it even in a great way we might only understand a small way Um, what we're dealing with here is holy ground so to speak there's no doubt it's a topic a subject when you're thinking about the person of God i want to say this off the bat uh, opening if i can say delivery you are not going to fully comprehend this it's beyond our comprehension that God is Trinity. Uh, There's a divine mystery that we're, if I can say, with tippy-toes entering into. We're dealing here with the essence of who God is and has been through all eternity and who always will be when we're thinking about the Trinity. You see, what we're dealing here with is actually ultimate reality... The doctrine that God is three in one is fundamental to understanding Christianity, but actually fundamental to understanding life itself. It's an incredibly profound doctrine that actually, when you start to kind of get to grips with it, you realise this is actually helping us understand how this world is, who we are. Well, let me start with a very simple question as we... um, go through and have a look at this topic in the opening message for the Believer's Guide to Christianity, what does it actually mean that God is Trinity? Well let me just say firstly, the word Trinity does not occur in the pages of the Bible and I know for some that might be a slight shock, you think, why are you talking about it if it's not in actually the Scriptures? Well, the definition Trinity is not there. Now I'm going to show you why I think it is there, although it's not there, in terms of the belief that it's real. But the actual term didn't appear until the late 2nd century and the early 3rd century. So the Scriptures, in terms of the New Testament, are written in the 1st century. By the end of the 2nd century, we see the term of triune, in terms of reference to God in the Latin appearing. And in the 3rd century, it makes its kind of first official appearance. And the first person to defend this doctrine, or understanding of God as Trinity, was a man called Tertullian. And he spoke of the God uh, God being Father, Son and Holy Spirit and Trinity means three in one uh, in the Latin term. And he said that God existed as three persons but one substance. Now I'm going to explain hopefully in a kind of a simple way what I mean by that but... Uh, One way of describing it is by using a diagram. Now, I'm an engineer by background, okay? So please forgive me for that. Um, I haven't got fluffy kittens for you. I've got a diagram. That's the best I could do today. Um, And what I want to do is just diagram for you and put some scriptures up, if I can say, in the margin to help us understand what we're talking about when we say God is Trinity. So the first thing to take note of is God is God. He is one. Now, one of the most if I can say, famous verses that the Old Testament that the people of God had to memorize was from Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it was the Shema. And it was a statement that said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the quote you've got there is from Jesus himself. And he picks up this statement, which is straight out of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And when asked to summarize the law, he begins by saying this statement, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And there are, if I can say, within the world of religion, there are three religions that are what are called monotheistic. In other words, we believe in one God. There's Islam, there's Judaism, and there's Christianity. And we all believe that there is just one God. Now, we've got different views and beliefs about who that one God is. Um, If I can say, the Jews and uh, the Christians share that sense of who God is. Uh, But we have a Trinitarian expression of that. But it begins with an understanding that God is one. Very fundamental and very important. Now the first thing to note is the God who is one reveals himself as Father. Now when I use the language of Father, I'm not wanting to ascribe gender to God, that God is male, he's beyond gender. But in his very being, he is Father. And He is the Father, if I can say, of us all and of the universe. And you can see there a classic introduction in one of the church letters that was written by Paul as he writes to the church of Philippians. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at a fundamental level, you see, God is not an energy force. In His very essence, He is personal and He is Father. Now I know for some, we've had, uh, you may have had dreadful fathers, you may have been abused by fathers. It's a shocking thing when that happens. But that is not, if I can say, we want to ascribe that to God. He is a perfect Father and heavenly Father. But secondly, this one God who is first revealed as being our Father God, also is revealed as having a Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about that, and if I can say, at this point, this is where you see the great explosion of, for want of a better word, understanding who God is through the Scriptures. Up until the beginning of the New Testament, in other words, through the the whole Old Testament, God is revealed as one. But when you come to the beginning of the New Testament, it is marking the entrance of the Son of God entering the world. Now... What the Bible writers grapple with, and let me say, I've got an enormous amount of sympathy for the Pharisees and those who did not comprehend who Jesus was, because you see that they are birthed in this monotheistic culture. There's one God. And so when you have this person turn up who talks about forgiving sins, which only God could do, who says, before Abraham was, I am, quoting the name of God from Exodus 3.14 in the burning bush. Uh, It is a right and natural thing that they're going, this guy's a blasphemer, there's only one God. Uh, But yet we see by his resurrection that he's not just a man. And the belief of the early church in the writings uh, through the New Testament is that this wasn't just a man, he was God. And you see this um, expressed in numbers of ways. Here's one quote you can see on the right, it's Paul writing to Titus, an aspiring leader, And he simply says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament explicitly teaches that the Father is God, the Son is God. It's a massive shift of belief that is taking place, seismic. But thirdly, the Holy Spirit is also God, just to complicate things. And so we had in our reading today in John 14, it's quite a convoluted reading to follow, very profound reading, where Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I'm in him, and yet then they talk about that he is sending the Father and in his name, the Spirit. And when the early church reflected on the coming of the Holy Spirit, they concluded that he was God as well. Now on the screen there is a reference to Acts chapter 5, it's the famous incident between uh, Ananias and Sapphira and the Apostle Peter, when Ananias and Sapphira are exposed for their lying about their giving. And I'll just read you the passage, Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to human beings, but to God." Now, note the parallel, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God, and all commentators agree, they're talking about the same entity. And so, who is this God? (laughs) There's one God, but there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. Now, some have tried to kind of work out, Well, how, and you kind of pull your hair out trying to think about this stuff. Um, how do you rationalise this? Is it that God is, and I couldn't create an apple pie, so I made a pie chart, there you go. Um, is it like a pie where you've got one part's the Son, one part's the Father, one part's the Holy Spirit, and kind of a third each? Um, some have said, is it like water? You can have ice. Um, one composition, you could have it as liquid, you could have it as a gas in terms of steam. Well, all these analogies break down. You see, God is not just... the Holy Spirit's not just a part of God, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus isn't just a part of God, He is God, the Father, etc. With the analogy of ice and water and liquid, um, you see, only H2O can exist in one form at one time. They can't coexist together as ice, liquid and steam coexistently. And so these analogies break down and what you see is, uh, when you think about the Trinity, that there's only one God who has three persons, who are all God but yet they are not each other. And we had in that reading from John 14, uh, that description. And so let me read it out to you. Um, It says, "...the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things." And will remind you of everything I've said to you. In other words, the Father has his own persona, for want of a better word. The Son, who is the technical word, incarnated, become flesh. Was born as Jesus, the son of Joseph. He is his own person within the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit has been sent from the Father and the Son. And he is separate to the Father and the Son. And so the Father, the Son... And the Holy Spirit are separate persons within the Godhead. The Father is not the Son. The Father sends the Son. The Son doesn't send the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't send the Son. Doesn't send the Father. No, the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. It's a bit like uh, one one was a racehorse, horse. Two two well was one two. One 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 run race. Two two one one two. I mean, it just you just get confused. There is a profundity that we're dealing with here, but it is three persons. That is one essence one god so why believe this it, it, you know when you start looking at it you're going is that what you're really talking about let me just show you one verse um, before we start thinking about why i believe this and this is the witness of the early church as they wrote down jesus words now think about this this is the end of matthew's gospel matthew's gospel of chapter 1 verse 1 begins in a climate that is absolutely monotheistic, there is just one God who's revealed Himself to the people of Israel. And we've seen the statement they had to learn. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That is how, if you're a faithful Jew, you understood God at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. And then you read this story of God sending His Son into the world. And him doing all the things you'd expect god to do you see in his baptism that the father says of the son this is my son with you i am well pleased and the spirit of god comes upon him and then it finishes with the son saying this is what you ought to do church go and baptize people in whose name the name of yahweh no the name of the father the son And the Holy Spirit. And so they have moved in one book, which is a reflection, if I can say, on the life, death, and resurrection of the Son, from monotheism to Trinitarian belief. Where they no longer are living under the name of Yahweh, they're now living and being baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a seismic earthquake in terms of thinking about who God is. And it happened because God entered this world in the form of His Son. So why believe in the Trinity if it's not a description or not a word that you find in the Scriptures? The reason I believe it is, and the churches believed it is, because this is how God comes to us. This is how we meet God. This is how we experience God. You see, our experience of God is that we experience a God who is our Father. We experience His Son who has died for us and has risen again, who gives us life. We experience His Spirit when we're born again. Now, what is the biggest genre of literature in the Bible? A little Bible quiz for you. What style of writing is most predominant in the Bible? Story. Story. Isn't it? The Bible's full of story, which is unlike other religious texts. They don't have stories in this sense. And you see, it's a story that starts at the beginning with Genesis and it goes through to the new creation. It's a story of how God deals with his people. It's a story of how God enters history and works in this world. It's a story of how he himself comes and joins this world. And dies for this world and rises again for this world. The way we reveal, the way God reveals himself is within history. And the scriptures record that for us. And then there's a smaller amount of material that reflects upon that in terms of the writing of the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, the wisdom literature, and then the New Testament. We have the story, if I can say, of Jesus and the church. And the letters then reflect upon what that means for us. But the predominant literature is story because, you see, this is how God comes to us. And the understanding of God as Trinity comes out of our experience of how God has met us within history. The Creator and Father who has sent His Son and who together has sent the Holy Spirit. And so what you see is uh, within the Old Testament, you see hints of this. Uh, let me put a couple of verses on the screen. Um, within this monotheistic culture, there are still hints about, if I can say, the plurality of who God is. Now, at the very beginning of creation, uh, there's Genesis 126. God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now, that doesn't prove the Trinity in any way, shape or form, but it does communicate that there's something more to God than what you might, on surface reading, understand. There is a plurality of description here. Isaiah 6 verse 8, Isaiah meets God in this vision in the temple. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Isaiah says, and this is the voice of God, whom shall I said, whom will go for us? So there are hints there in the Old Testament that there is a a depth, a complexity, a plurality to God that you don't see just from a surface reading thinking that God is one. And then he then comes down through the person of his Son and reveals himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And what you see in the New Testament is not the, language, not the word Trinity but the concept of a God who is three in one in all sorts of ways. I mentioned one in terms of the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaking of his Son and the Spirit coming down upon him. Well, here's another one. It's a famous blessing that Christians have used at the end of formal gatherings. We actually, we might say it at the end today. It's at the end of 2 Corinthians may the grace let's read it together may the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all note what it's saying the grace of who the lord the love of the father the fellowship of the spirit and it's amazing how many times you will see this trinity of terms popping up well let me stop now and ask the question Um, and the important question, well what difference does this make? I mean this is a very fascinating lecture you're giving here Bruce, (laughs) does it make any difference to my life? Well let me just say, this understanding I'm talking about actually shapes reality. This is who God has always been, Father, Son and Holy Spirit from all eternity before creation. It's not like there's an energy and then some, there's an evolution of God and The Son kind of came into being down the track and the Holy Spirit came into being... No, God has always, through all eternity, been Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I want to give you three things to think about. Firstly, um, what it shows me is that there is a simplicity and complexity with life that is always going to coexist. Let me explain that. God is one. He is the creator. And there is a, if I can say, a simplicity about life. The sun rises, the sun sets. The tide comes in, the tide goes out. We're in winter, spring is coming, summer will appear, it'll be followed by autumn and then winter will come back. There are seasons to life. And so there is a simplicity and an order to creation that is a product of the mind of God in the way he has created this creation. There are patterns, there are laws, there are rules which govern the world. And so there is a simplicity to how this world operates but yet there is a a, a paradox, a complexity that is right there in the midst of the simplicity. I saw it just this week, we had one of our great saints die, Beth Jones, last Sunday morning. One day short of 89 years of age. On the Friday... We had a, just a, a delightful young girl who has suffered with degenerative diseases, died at the age of about 11, Mia. And you just look at that and you go, why is that like that? It just seems so unfair. So Wrong. And when you think about God, it seems so simple. God is love is probably one of the most simple statements in all of Scripture. But yet as you live life and as you read Scripture, you realize that there's a complexity just to understanding the reality that God is love. And as you start to grapple with how is it possible that God is love, when you experience the things that happen in people's lives, why does death come so early and tragically for some? Why does evil and suffering seem to coexist in this beautiful world? And you look at God and you realize that within the simplicity of the God who is one, there is a complexity and a depth and a profundity that we'll never understand. And in some ways, it's just a mirror of our existence here in this world. That within the simplicity of life, there is a complexity that we'll never plumb just like we'll never plumb the depths of understanding the God who is three in one. But secondly, relationship is at the heart of human existence. When we ponder the Trinity, what we see is that at the very center of who God is, is relationship. You see, God has always related within Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, just think about that as you go away from here today. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit have always related together. As I said, it didn't start with some sort of just energy bang. There always was the Father, there always was the Son, there always was the Holy Spirit. And you see, they were always and have always and will always be co-eternally relating. This is ultimate reality. To know and to be known, that's what happens within the Trinity. And isn't this the greatest of our human needs, to know and to be known? Now, I'm going to give you a, a shock confession. It might shock some of you. Um, I've been a long-time watcher of Survivor. Okay? I've got that out. I reckon it's just such a great program to watch, the social experiment of seeing these people on an island together for, you know, whatever many... Anyway, the Australian version, number three, Champions vs. Contenders, come on, and guess who's watching it again? My son and my Philip, we're enjoying it. And amongst the champions... Team. There's 12 of them, we we'll started with 12. Uh, one of them is an ex-Special Forces soldier, 10 years. Now, you're a tough guy if you've served overseas, as he had. He's also better known as the uh, fitness trainer on biggest, Australia's Biggest Loser, um, in terms of commando Steve Willis. And this week on Survivor, they had a special challenge and his team won. And the reward was that you got a care pack from your family. I think it's kind of cruel at one level, they've both got care packs and only one team gets to get them, the others, I don't know what they did with them but anyway, probably got them after the show's finished. Um, And each person had letters and things from their family back home and this tough guy, Commando Steve Willis, gets his care pack and it reduced him to tears. They asked his son to write a letter to his dad. And they gave him 10 questions to respond to. And the 10th question was this, um, why is your daddy special? And he just answered in the letter, because I love him. And you just saw this tough guy, Commando Steve Willis, just break down. And I'm sort of trying not to cry in front of my son. And, you know, I'm moved by it. And start crying if I think about it too much anyway. um, And I quote, he says, my whole life I've needed to search for this love and acceptance and isn't that so true of life that we are just looking for love and acceptance now why is that you see because at the heart of god who we are made in his image is that we are profoundly wired to love and to be loved to know and to know be known That's at the heart of humanity. Yes, there's a drive to achieve and to create and all those other things. But you ask people at the end of their life, what's been the most significant thing for them? What's the thing that is most significant? Isn't it the relationships that their family, that have marked their lives to find love and acceptance? And you see, this profoundly shapes who we are as, if I can say, just people. We are searching for that love and acceptance. And it's because we're made in the image of a Trinitarian God who is three in one, who relates. And whose relationship is at the very essence of who He is. And it profoundly shapes our experience of God. You see, uh, we don't sit... With no words and just hope to connect with the divine unlike every other world religion how is it that christians define what it means to be a christian so often we say this don't we it's a personal relationship now where does that come from It comes from the very reality that in essence, God is Trinity and he invites us into relationship with him to know him personally. And if you want to see where that's most profoundly expressed, is it not in our prayer? Now, religions around the world, they all pray. But no religion prays like Christians pray. It is profoundly different. We don't babble on hoping, wondering, will he listen to us? It's not silent, trying to connect with something that's beyond us. No, it's audible, it's intelligent, it's warm, it's informal. It's, as Jesus taught, it's to our Father who is in heaven. Who we come before him in prayer. And when you read through the scriptures and it describes what it means to be a Christian, one of my favorite descriptions is this. Uh, It comes from Micah 6 verse 8. It's a very well-known verse. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. That's the part we often pick up. But notice the last part, to walk humbly with our God. And you see, it's this language of relationship that we walk with God through life, personally. And it's such a beautiful description of what it means to know God. To know His forgiveness and acceptance in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to know His Spirit working in us, to know God over us as Father, we walk with Him. But lastly, if I can finish on this note, it's not just relationship that's at the heart of reality, mutual community is at the heart of the Trinity, and at the heart of Christianity. You see, in essence, God is not just relating, there's actually a community there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit and here's the profound thing as christians we are invited into it you see one of the great sadnesses of our current culture is that loneliness exists i was having a look at the stats 30 percent of people in the 2095 postcode in manly live alone the great search for people is not just relationship but it's community we don't just want to be known and to know we want to fit in we want to belong somewhere And you see, God is community. He's Father, Son and Spirit. And to be a Christian is not just to be a lone ranger who thinks, I've got my sins forgiven, I've got the insurance ticket for heaven. No, it is to belong to His people. Have a look at this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. At the start of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church of God. That's the first understanding, the Father. The church belongs to the Father, it is the Father's. And know what it says, we were baptised in chapter 12 by one Spirit so as to form one body. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. In other words, this community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What happens when you're born again is you are born into a body. The body of Christ, a family. To think that you can be a Christian and walk alone is to make no sense of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Trinity. A Trinitarian Christian, someone who understands the Trinity, says, actually, I'm going to belong with His people. Not just attend, but belong. Because I've been baptised into that body, the body of Christ. And friends that is the the beauty of the church when it's working well that there's this glorious spirit-filled community that lives through the work of christ we are his body and we know god is our father over us i want to say a couple of things it's why being together is so important you see it's We're belonging here together we're worshiping together we're growing together it's why uh, i would just encourage everyone you need fellowship more than just church to belong and to fellowship together day by day week by week let me just say for the parents who've got kids here one of the most important things you can do is help your kids belong at the church and form friendships so that they grow up in that fellowship one of the main reasons kids fall away between kids church and youth group is they've made no connection with the body of Christ and their primary connection is somewhere else it's such an important discipline even when you're feeling crap to come to church for your kids sake if I can be really frank and it's why we need each other so much because we're not just meeting together as brothers and sisters we're meeting with God here the father over us who we have access to by His Son, through uh, the power of the Spirit who is dwelling in us. Now friends, my time is up, I could go on forever and ever about this. Because you see, when you start to understand who God is, and that this is ultimate reality, it starts shaping how you think life is to be lived in this world. And the wonderful news is, Friends, we have a God who has revealed Himself as our Heavenly Father, who has sent His Son to die for us, to rise again, so that we can be forgiven and accepted and brought home. And we've been given His Spirit so that we can be baptized into His body, so that we can know the assurance that we belong, so that we can be remade into His image. As we journey towards the great day when He is revealed face-to-face. And that, my friends, is a day worth looking forward to. Let's pray. I just want us to stop and just to spend a time to pray quietly.